Would you pray with me on this Easter Sunday morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for this Easter. Thank you for the simplicity of this Easter. Thank you, Lord, that the miracle of our ways of communicating with each other, the technology that certainly you knew all about when you knew this was coming and made preparation for us to be ready, even when the church would be scattered, we're still able to gather in your name. Lord, I ask you in your name, by the power of your Spirit, to make your presence known in every home, in every room where folks are watching on a phone or a TV, any vehicle where they may be. Lord, make your presence known. We, we understand we don't just remember what you said, though we appreciate what you said. We don't just honor your memory, though we do honor your memory. Thank you, Lord, that because of Easter, we celebrate your actual presence. We bless you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It was probably a little over three years ago when, to my heart, out of the blue, a surprising sense that the Lord was saying something to me. I, I don't hear an audible voice, I, I, I don't see things written in the, in the heavens, but there are times when I do feel like the Lord is wanting to say something to me, and I felt that he said, I don't need the crowds, I don't need the crowds. That was a shock to my system because we're just naturally inclined to think whenever there are large numbers of people gathering to sing his praises, hear his word, gathering to worship or whatever, that, that there must be a sense that he is there. And, he's, and certainly that's the case many, many times. But when the Lord put that on my heart, I, I don't need the crowds. I, I, I thought more about that because... The, the attempt to gather crowds and keep crowds can be a difficult thing. It can be a bondage to carry for churches, for leaders of churches. It's all about the crowds. But for the Lord to say, I don't, I don't need the crowds, it was emphasizing the fact that it's, it's his people. It's one-on-one, -on -one, one at a time. And then it seemed like a few weeks later, not only had he said to my heart, I don't need the crowds, but then it just seemed like he said, and you don't either. And you don't either. I don't need the crowds, and you don't either. It was around that time that this wonderful team here at Alamo City that make this possible for you to be hearing what you're hearing and seeing what you're seeing this morning, that they began to work on the improving or actually just establishing and then improving the streaming of our services out over Facebook. 
to begin with, and it has since then expanded to, to other ways to get it out. And lo and behold, look, look at us this morning. That There isn't a crowd where you are, more than likely, but, but there is a phone or an iPad or there is a TV. I'm looking out into this, this room and, you know, a, a few thousand seats here and for the most part completely empty. The Lord doesn't need the crowds because he wants us to know he cares about us personally, individually, right where we are. So grateful that we, we have the means to be together this morning. So grateful for the technology. Thankful that the Lord was working to prepare us to get ready for this time three years ago or so. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You really are smart, and you really are able to lead your people to do what we need to do. Now, I want to ask you this morning to find your Bible. I hope you have one, and I hope you you're getting it marked up with, uh, with dates and underlining and highlighted spots. Find your way to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, two verses, verses 10 and 11. Scholars for centuries have examined the Scriptures, and many of them have focused specifically on the New Testament. And as they would focus on the New Testament, they would be looking into the lives of the writers of the New Testament. One of those, probably the chief writer of most of your New Testament this morning, is a man by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was known before that, before his name was changed, to Saul of Tarsus. That was how he was known. Because of his influence... Because of the life that he lived and the, and the impact that he made during the days that he lived and, and the scriptures that were given to him by the Spirit to, to write down, he, he is a focus of great attention. But when the scholars try to find what, what is the summary statement in Paul's life that would speak of his greatest ambition. His, his, his greatest longing, they seem to come back to these two verses. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, where he says, that I may know him, that I may know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering." being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him. The longing of Paul's heart was to not know about Jesus, not just know the historical facts of what he did and what he said and where he went, the word that he uses here for knowing Jesus can only properly be appreciated and understood in the sense of experiential knowledge. Not academic, not mental, but experiential knowledge. 
that comes as a result of spending time with the person, being in the presence of the person, enjoying the company of that person's presence over an extended period of time, that I may know him. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a tense in the Greek verb that indicates the importance of the initiation of the relationship. The, when it began, Damascus Road, light as bright as the sun, a voice coming out of the, of the, of the shining light, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul would say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. From that point, a relationship with Jesus began in Saul, who would become Paul, in his heart. But here's what he's saying in this verse, that I may know him. That on the basis of my introduction to him, I have a relationship. But the longing of my heart is that throughout the years, the events, the seasons of my life, that increasingly and ever more deeply, <laughs> I would get to know him. It is as if he is describing an invitation to a journey that Jesus is extending to Paul. Paul, I want you to walk with me. I invite you to walk with me. And as you walk with me, I'm going to show you more of who I am. It, it's interesting that he puts two important words together, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and then and the fellowship of his suffering. The way that is constructed in the language there, in, in the grammar that is used there, there's no way to separate power of his resurrection from fellowship of his suffering. It's as if Paul is saying they are two sides of the same coin. As I know Jesus more and more, as I gain in my experiential knowledge of him, he's going to unveil to me. He's going to show me more of the power that he has to raise anything, something from the dead. But it's also going to mean that as I walk with him, there are going to be some seasons of suffering. But in the seasons of suffering, I won't be in those seasons by myself. I'll be having fellowship with somebody in those seasons of suffering. My dear brother and sister, isn't it the truth? that some of the deepest, warmest, greatest, most powerful things we ever learn in our lives are those things that we've learned in seasons of, and we would call them seasons of suffering. But even when it seems like it wouldn't be possible, it is possible that in the places of sorrow, in the places of sadness, in the places of suffering, not knowing how long something is going to go on, that during those seasons, Jesus makes his presence known, makes the sense of his love for us real. When it seems as if everybody has walked away and we don't know how that midnight, long that midnight of loneliness is going to last, it is in that season of our being physically alone so many times that the Lord 
will say to our hearts, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. And he does. He makes his presence known. The idea here is, is that Paul is saying, I desire for my life to be pursuing a deeper and further relationship with Jesus, knowing him more and more, more and more, and I'm understanding, I'm accepting that it's going to be a lifelong process. It's not something where I got everything I would ever know about the Lord the time that he revealed himself to me on the Damascus Road. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. But there have been many steps since then, and I want my life to be marked by my pursuit of knowing him throughout the seasons of my life, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We focus on that this morning, the power of his resurrection. Why did Jesus have to be raised from the grave? Why couldn't he have just come and delivered the truth of God, be an example and an expression of the power of God, healing folks and casting out demons and showing the authority of good over evil, his heart for people, over the heart of just dry, barren religion to use people, and, and to do all of those things, go to the cross and effectively accomplish forgiveness for our sins by his death on the cross. Why, why couldn't that have just been the end of it? Why did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? Why is Easter Sunday, not as an event, but as a celebration of what happened on that day that is to be good, is to be the access for blessing for the whole future of the church until we go to heaven, until we're in the presence of the Lord? Why, why did he have to be raised from the dead? Why did he have to be raised from the dead? Folks, I want to tell you, this is central. It's at the heart of what the church is to put our faith and our trust in and to receive as ours. I want you to go from, from Philippians 3, find your way to the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 and one verse. This is written by the apostle Paul years later after he came to full understanding of the meaning of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is, this is what he says, and it's, it's important. Romans 4, 25. He, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our transgressions, delivered up to the cross, taken to the... He went to the cross carrying in his body our sins upon the tree, as Peter would say. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered up, taken to the cross because of our sins, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins. But then it says, it's just one line, but it's incredibly powerful and important. He was raised because of our justification. Because of our justification, he was raised. Because of our justification. Well, what in the world was justification mean? Justification is a long word, but here's what it means. 
It means the act whereby someone who is guilty, someone who would stand condemned, the act whereby a person is made just, is made right, brought into right standing. The act whereby a person is forgiven. What was that act? That act was the cross. That act was what Jesus did on the cross. And, as, and what he's saying here is, it is because of what Jesus did on the cross that was so complete, that looked down through every word, every action, every day, every night, every period of time, where you or I live for ourselves, made choices that were against God's heart, broke his law, sinned. That when Jesus went to the cross, he was carrying everything, everything that you or I would do to be categorized as sin to our account. The wages of our sins resulted in his death. But here's where the resurrection comes in. The resurrection means that everything that Jesus attempted to do to secure your forgiveness, nothing is missed, nothing is overlooked. There are no asterisks by the side of the cross of Jesus, or he died for our sins. He died for everything except that. He died for everything except this. There's no asterisk. He, he shed his blood for the sins of the world. Everything about you that God knew, everything about me that God knew I would do wrong, Jesus carried to the cross, and he paid the price in advance for my sins. And as a result of the complete, total, thorough payment of that price, the Father looked upon the death of his Son, and he established that the death of the Son, his blood in the place for your sins and my sins, was sufficient. It, it met the standard that it accomplished, the blood accomplished what the blood was intended to accomplish. And as a result of that, Jesus Christ was raised. As proof of the fact that the blood of Jesus accomplished everything it was intended to accomplish, the proof of that is that he was raised from the grave, that he's no longer dead. If he was still dead, there could be the question of whether or not his, his sacrifice was sufficient. But folks, here's, here's what the resurrection means. The resurrection means that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you've become perfect and you never sin. It admits the totality of your sin and my sin. But what it says is that sinner has been forgiven, that there is no reason for guilt or shame to hound the life of one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus because on the basis of what Jesus has done and our faith in what Jesus has done, we're forgiven. And the proof of that is the resurrection. Now, I want you to, 
hold that, and, and I, want you to, I want you to go with me to Saul's life and walk a little bit further with the apostle Paul. The first, the first point, of what, what, what is this that, that the power of his resurrection means? Here, here's the first thing. It is that knowing Jesus in the power of his resurrection means that he is convincing me that guilt and shame no longer have any right to rule my life. Convincing me the power of his resurrection, convincing me by his spirit that guilt and shame no longer have any right to rule my life. The Apostle Paul was uh, a character, to say the least, before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. If, if um, let me just give you a, a spot or two to look in your copy of the scripture. This would be Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Find that if you would. Paul is, is giving a defense of, of his life and the charges against him at that point in time before a governmental leader named Agrippa. And he begins to give some of the background for his life. Now stay with me, we're headed somewhere. We're headed to the point of emphasizing the truth that because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of his resurrection power, you and I are not, we don't have to live one second longer under guilt and shame of things that we have done before. Look at verse 9, Acts 26, verse 9. So then I thought to myself, Paul writes, that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were putting to death, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And while thus engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet for this purpose I've appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. When 
Paul lists all of those things that he in a premeditated fashion had done to the followers of Jesus. They knew what he had done. They knew of him. They knew his reputation. More than that, he knew what he was doing. Striking, powerful, almost unbelievable is the sense that to the very ones that Saul had persecuted, that Saul had hurt, to those very ones Jesus would send him to speak of his love, to speak of the heart of God, to, to give things that Paul would say to them. Here's the point, folks. If Saul hadn't had that 18-inch drop out of his head and into his heart, that yes, God loves me, and yes, I am forgiven, and to know that in the brain and how different that can be from knowing that in the heart. If there had not been in the Apostle Paul's heart the sense of the release from guilt over what he had done, what he had in a premeditated fashion pursued against the church, if, if there had not been a removal from within his heart, the shame of what he had done, he would never have reached out and begun to speak to the the followers of Jesus, even in Damascus, it says that, that for, for several days after he'd come to know Jesus as a result of that, that encounter on the Damascus Road, that he stayed with the disciples right there in the area. They all knew him or knew what he had done and what he had the power to do and what he had done in Jerusalem. How did he have the freedom to move into their hearts, move into their lives? What, what kept him from being so embarrassed about it? It's because he understood as the spirit of the living Jesus worked on his heart. Saul, my blood has covered those sins. You are forgiven. And there is no reason for you to walk in guilt and in shame. I, I speak that because I just... I just feel like there's so much reconciliation that the Lord wants to do in families and in relationships across our land and around our world. But what can shut a Christian down, what can shut a, a Christian father down from pursuing a relationship with a son or a daughter, divorce has come. Things, things have happened, and maybe it was the the father's choice, and, and, and he left. But the Spirit of the Lord begins to work on that father. The last couple of verses in the Old Testament have to do with what the Lord's going to do before the great day of the Lord in the hearts of people. And the Scripture says he will turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children, and he will turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers. There can be something that works in the heart of a Christian man, a Christian woman, having to realize that there were things that were done. I hurt people that I should have only loved. I, I, I said things, did things, orchestrated things. I made choices that have hurt people that I should have loved. And because I have done those things, I feel guilty about those things. And because I feel guilty about those things, 
I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to even approach. I'm ashamed to write a note. I'm ashamed to knock on a door. I'm ashamed to try to see. Here's, here's the freedom. Here's the freedom in this. Here's the freedom of the power of his resurrection. When it begins to work 18 inches out of your head and into your heart, that on the basis of what Jesus did for you on the cross, every one of those sins against people, against ones that you've hurt, every one of those sins before God, when your trust is in the shed blood of Jesus for your sins, those sins are forgiven. You are released from the guilt of those sins. You are released from the shame that accompanies that guilt. I, I, I realize this, that this may not sound like a, that big a deal to uh, some folks and, and um, who, who may not struggle with that much about guilt and shame, but I'm going to tell you, most folks, and in our culture today where there is so much crazy things that are going on with regard to family and marriage and so forth, that if we stop long enough, and even this season where there's been a pause button hit, whether we like it or not, and we do have time to think, where there can be some things that would rise up in your heart, a longing for a relationship to be restored, an ache in your heart that somehow you would be able to express something that is there of kindness. And not, not, to, not to go in and lecture somebody on morality or, 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 or bring a Bible study lesson on something. Maybe you feel like in, that, that you forfeited the right to do those kinds of things because of choices that you've made. But what can drive the hesitation to reenter, to hear this, what, what can be behind the sense that, that I, I've just sort of tried to close a door on relationship with that with that child or, or that, that, that person I have known before. What can be driving that is shame. What can be driving that is guilt. As long as you hear those voices, and shame has a voice, it'll talk to you. Guilt has a voice, it'll talk to you. But when instead of listening to shame and instead of listening to guilt, you turn your eyes to what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you turn your eyes and you look at that empty tomb. There's nobody there. Why is there nobody there? Nobody is there because Jesus satisfied the demands of the law in your behalf. The wages of sin are death. Jesus paid the full price of death, and the Father raised the Son to life as an amen as a, yes, that was accurate. Yes, that was full. There's no other sacrifice that ever has to be made for sin. Again, my son's blood covers it all. His son's blood covers your sin and my sin. Folks, listen, when that drops 18 inches in our hearts, some things can begin to open back up. Instead of letting shame rule and shame be the, and guilt be the reason why we don't pursue relationship, why we don't see if there's a crack in the door, and if I could just say, I love you. I'm not trying to get you to get anything back to, anything back to me. I just want you to know I love you, and I ask you to forgive me. Where that begins to rise up in your heart, it will be as a result, as Paul would say here, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection to convince me and keep convincing me that I am forgiven. When there is a sense of knowing that you're forgiven, there is incredible freedom, freedom that flows through your life. The freedom in the sense that I have been forgiven. But, oh, listen to this. The freedom in the sense of being able to forgive, of being able to extend mercy, being able to extend kindness, because it flows from your own forgiven heart. I, 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 hope, I hope this is settled in. I hope you're hearing this, because it's so wonderful and it's so powerful that at the core, at the basis of the power of the resurrection, Working in your life is that you know, not, not that all of a sudden you've been perfect and you, you never do anything, but it is, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner, but by the grace of God, I have been forgiven. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks or tries to perpetrate on the basis of what their conclusions are. I stand before my Lord forgiven, washed in his blood, being changed by the power of his spirit. And my heart is that as, as my heart is being changed, as my heart is being reopened, I want to extend compassion and mercy to the ones that I have hurt. Paul, Saul, had a laundry list of people he had hurt whom he should have loved. He thought he was doing what was right. But as it turned out, he was doing exactly the opposite. He thought he was standing up for God to persecute these ones who were following Jesus. When in reality, and that's why Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here's the rest of that story. The call of God on Saul's life. Once the full measure of what it meant to be forgiven and shame driven out of his life for what he had done, once that was taken care of, then the call of God on Saul's life was to enter the community of the very ones that he tried to persecute and even enjoyed seeing them put to death. That, that's, that was his assignment. <laughs> that was his grace assignment. He, he had been brought up... Um, as a, as a Pharisee, as a, as a strict Jew. And as a part of that training, there was this elitism with regard to the Jewish people that infected the leadership and the teachers. For, for the Lord to say, I'm calling you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. That could have struck his heart initially as, well, I can't go there. They are not worthy of the kindness of God. I need to stay with my people. <laughs> and, and the leadership would, throughout the rest of his ministry, when they had a chance to come after him, they would try to shame him for who his heart was being moved to minister to. Gentiles, not Jewish people, Gentiles. Gentile rulers, Gentile leaders. Somewhere along the line, folks, listen, if that shame hadn't been broken off of Saul's life, he would never have been the man of God and the minister that the Lord wanted him to do, wanted him to be. Where that needs to be truth and life and freedom in our hearts, 
Instead of automatically thinking, okay, I better, go, I better go call somebody, I better write a letter, I better make, you know, I better do check, so I can check that box. It's not about checking a box with people you've hurt. It is about first and foremost allowing the power of Christ's resurrection to warm those cold places in your heart that have resulted in shame ruling you and guilt keeping you away. To be able to pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit so that from the inside of me, there will be the sense that I am forgiven. I was wrong, but I'm no longer guilty. I was wrong in what I did, but I have been forgiven. Therefore, shame has no right to keep me from pursuing what God wants me to be. I I don't know who it is who needs to hear this, but I'm telling you, it's strong in my heart. Guilt and shame has shut some of you down as as children of God. It's kept you from stepping into the places where the Lord's heart is for you to be a restorer and a repairer of the breach. And the way that happens, the way that freedom comes, oh my goodness, the way that freedom comes is when the reality of the power of his resurrection settles into your heart. Jesus was raised from the dead because he accomplished your forgiveness. You would trust in him. You would put your trust in him. You would receive him years later. But he accomplished your justification. Now, let me tell you what else that word justification means. It's got three parts to it in the Bible sense. It means to be forgiven of a, of a, of a charge accused, a crime accused. It means to be forgiven. It means to be released. It means to no longer be held guilty of that particular charge, forgiven. But the next part of that is it also means that the line item, the line item of all those multitudes of different kinds of sins that we have committed, those have been erased such that It is as if they don't even exist. What happened before doesn't even exist. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. But I am also cleansed and my record is expunged. It is as if it never happened. That's why in Isaiah 55, the Lord will say, my ways are higher than your ways, humanity. They're they're, they're, they're way beyond anything that humans can do. And the whole context of that was how he forgives. He says, let the wicked man return. Let the one far away come back to the Lord. And I will abundantly pardon. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I will separate your sins from you and from my heart. And that's where he says, for my ways are higher than your ways. It's in the place of forgiveness. It's in the place of mercy. Somehow, some of, there's somebody out there listening who's saying, but, the, but they haven't forgiven me. But the people haven't forgiven me who I've hurt, and they have a right to, to have an offense against me. They haven't forgiven me. If that's where you stare, if that's where you look, if that's where your gaze is, you'll never be free because you're living under the shadow of their opinion about you. That may need to be a glance, but the gaze is this way. 
The Lord has forgiven me on the basis of what he did for me on the cross. And as a result of that, it is in my heart to want to repair the breach. It's within my heart to want to restore. If if you always wait until they forgive you or until they release you before you take the first step, you may go to your grave and never take the first step. But what if it is on the basis of, Lord, you have forgiven me. (laughs) And on the basis of your mercy to me, I am going to reach out. I will try to extend. Whether they receive it or not, I will extend the opportunity for them to know my love and to hear my cries for mercy. Will you forgive me? They can at least hear a voice that maybe they haven't heard in a long time. The opportunity to see a face that maybe they haven't looked at. You see, what does that have to do with Easter? I'm telling you it has everything to do with Easter. The power of his resurrection to make real his ability to free us from the power of guilt and shame to rob us, to keep us back from the full will of God in our lives. Case in point, Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. If he, if he, had, never, if he had never received it, that the Lord had forgiven him, if he had waited for the, 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 the church, the, the, the new church, to accept him before he ever stepped in their direction, he might never have stepped in that direction. They, they had a list of things that he had done wrong, that how he had offended them, had, had, had ripped families up and, and, and done all kinds of harm to them. If he had waited for them to say, oh, Brother Saul, come and be a part of us, he might never have gone. Because there was the sense in his heart that, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I was wrong. Yes, I hurt. Yes, it was horrible what I did. But I've gone to Jesus, and the Lord Jesus' blood has forgiven me, has paid the price, and I've received him as my Savior and Lord. And I'm free of the guilt and the shame, even of the things that I did in your direction. I come in low. I come in asking for your mercy. I come in asking for your forgiveness. But I come to you as a free man. And I'm not driven by guilt. I'm not driven by shame. I'm here knocking on your door wanting there to be reconciliation, restoration, because I genuinely love you and I hurt you and I'm more sorry than I could ever tell you. Will you forgive me? I love you. Now, I'm going to tell you that, that I, would, I hadn't planned to lean into that as hard, but there are some folks out there that need to be encouraged in this place. There are some broken relationships that the power of the resurrection of Jesus can heal. That which is shutting us down so often, and, and, and we, 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 it seems to make sense to us. I've done what I've done, therefore I can't reach out. I've done what I've done, I own it, but, but I'm ashamed to step in. What if from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, there comes a fresh drenching of the reality of the love of God for you? And his ability to set you free from what you have done, what you thought, what you perpetrated, all of those things. You are aware of it, but there is the sense that he has forgiven you. It doesn't leave a person proud like we can boss everybody else around and tell them what to do. It leaves us instead on our hands and knees, even on our face. Lord, I'm not worthy of your mercy I'm guilty, but Lord, I praise you 
that you love me enough to pay the price to forgive me. And because you have paid the price to forgive me, I want to know what it is for your grace to flow through me. I refuse to let another day guilt and shame stop me from reaching out and trying to step back into the lives of even those I hurt and bruise. You see, when the Lord does something like that in your heart, he has the same power to do that work in the hearts of the ones that would receive you, that you would desire for them to to have a sense of reconciliation. He's able to do it. But folks, even if not, even if he doesn't, even if it's not time for them to respond in kind toward you, you're free. Do you hear that? You're free. A name doesn't have to come up, and, and all of a sudden, shame just rises up in that part of your heart. I can't think about it. I can't talk about it. Well, why can't you think about it? And why can't you talk about it? It's because guilt and shame are keeping. And Jesus died on the cross to set you free from guilt and shame. All right? I'm going to stomp that, nail that one down. But I believe there's so much hope and there's so much freedom in that place. We don't have to continue to be living in the shadows. We can step into the light and we can be messengers of light, bearers of light. In that sense. So that, that, was, that, was, that was Saul. He, the, the very ones that the Lord would call him to minister to and to be a part of were the very ones that he had hurt so deeply. And yet the change came. That I may know you, Lord, in the power of your resurrection. The power of your resurrection. What was accomplished in the resurrection? What was accomplished in the resurrection was my forgiveness from sins that I have been set free from the guilt and from the shame. Let me go one other point with you, and then we'll, we'll probably take a break and come back for part two maybe next week. Here, 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 is, here is a second aspect of what resurrection power means and what it does. Knowing him in the power of his resurrection means that he is convincing me that he will never leave me And he will never forsake me. Living in the power of his resurrection means that he is convincing me that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. You're understanding again now it's this continuum of life. It's it's movement through. I was introduced to Jesus here. But Paul is saying as I've moved through the rest of my life, as I continue on this journey, I'm wanting him to teach me more of who he is. I'm wanting to, and here's the key word, experientially gain the knowledge of who he is. Enter the place of suffering that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You can't have fellowship with somebody who isn't in the room, right? I mean, we can write letters. You can't have fellowship unless there's some kind of a communication. You can't have fellowship with somebody who's not alive necessarily. We see them in heaven one day, but in this life, Paul is saying here that since he is alive, since he's alive from the dead, 
I can know him. He can be with me where I am. I want to show you a couple of spots in his life that are just fascinating to me. This is Acts chapter 18. If you want something that will just bless you and encourage you, you, you can read through the latter chapters of the book of Acts and look for the red letter portions if you have a red letter Bible. Because you know what that means? That's Jesus talking again. That's Jesus saying something again. And in most cases, he's saying something to Saul, to Paul. He didn't just say everything he was going to say on the Damascus Road. Look, look at this in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. I'll just read the section where it's, where it's identified. And the Lord said to Paul in, in the night, by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. That's in Corinth. Paul came in and began to preach, and in typical fashion, a riot broke out, and the city was in chaos, and they blamed it all on, on Paul. And the Lord, proving to Paul that he had not left him as an orphan, that he was right there with him, the Lord comes to him in, night, in the night by vision, and he says this, do not be afraid any longer. As if the Lord understand, Paul was scared, but he was fearful of the outcome. Paul didn't have to hide that from the Lord. The Lord was with him. The Lord was making himself known, and the Lord was knowing Paul. So he says, do not be afraid any longer, but you go on speaking, and do not be silent. He could have been asking, have I said enough? Is it time for me to quit? Need to move on down the road? And Jesus said to him in that place in Corinth where all hell was breaking loose, Jesus there with him, speak and, speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. I am with you, for I am with you. Well, where were you? I'm in Corinth. That's a million miles away from Jerusalem and the comforts of, of that tradition that, that Paul would have known about. But wherever Paul was, Jesus was, because Jesus had sent him there. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Oh, folks, those many people in that city hadn't yet come to faith in Christ. They, they would come to faith in Christ as Paul stayed there and preached the gospel. Jesus knew his fear. Jesus understood his hesitation about speaking anymore, Jesus answered both of those concerns in his heart. I am here. Don't be afraid. And let me tell you something else, Paul. There are a bunch more people that belong to me who are here in this city. You keep preaching. You keep speaking because they're mine. I know them. They'll come. You keep doing what I put you here to do. Oh, folks, listen. Fear is not something uncommon in the world, in our lives. Paul would say that I may come to know him as I continue this walk through it. There were times and times and times again where Paul would find himself in frightening situations, in, in, in life or death situations. <laughs> but what he came to know is 
Every time he stepped into one of those places, Jesus was already there. The lion from the tribe of Judah already had set his foot in Corinth. And that Jesus would make his presence known. I'm talking to some folks. You may not know where your next, how you're going to fill that check-in to pay your bill and, and, and when all this that's going on around us is going to end. But here's the thing. All of that stuff loses its power to own you with fear when there is the sense of the King of kings and the Lord of lords standing right next to you. He knows where we are. He knows what the challenges are. He knows when we're afraid, and he has the power by his spirit. Don't write this off. Oh, that was just Paul. Jesus just talked to Paul. Folks, listen. It may be that the Lord wants to say a whole lot more to us than we're willing to believe that he does. What about asking him, Lord, what do I do? Lord, where's this going? Lord, should I leave or stay? As Paul probably put those things before the Lord. And the Lord answered him. I got to tell you, I need to stomp this one in. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There are some of you who are standing on what you believe is a word from the Lord, and you're fearless in that place because you believe the Lord has spoken. He's making his presence known. The power of his resurrection means that he is teaching us cumulatively throughout our lives that he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. You, you, you read, you can skip on over a few other pages, and, and you can find the, the, the Lord saying, this is Acts 22, and Paul is saying, speaking of the Lord, and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem. This is 22:18. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. Because they will not accept your testimony about me. Paul would write in, in, uh, in Ephesians that there are times when we're supposed to stand, having given everything to stand firm. But here the Lord Jesus is saying to him, get out of Dodge, Paul. They're not ready to hear your word. You escape, you run, you flee. The Lord's speaking to him. Then 23:11, but, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, "Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. The Lord speaking, the Lord speaking, folks, one of the reasons that the Lord will allow some of these circumstances to come upon us, to, 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 to ruffle our calm waters. To, to unsettle us, to stir up our nest a little bit, is because he wants us to know, to know the joy of knowing his presence in those places and the joy of hearing his voice to our spirits. You say, he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me. How do you know? God's already spoken everything he wants to say in the scripture. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Prove that. This is absolutely true. We, we, we don't, we're not trying to find errors in it. 
But this is not the composite revelation of God. This is not all that God is going to say to people. Why would Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me? Why why would Jesus be saying to Paul, don't be afraid? I've got many more people here. Why would he be saying to Paul, it's time for you to load up and get out of Dodge? Because he wanted Paul to know that he was not an orphan that he was not by himself, that he had not been left and abandoned. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. The Lord Jesus says to your heart today, let it in, let it in, let it drop 18 inches. I hear that with the hearing of the ear, but Lord, let me hear that with with the voice, the ears of my spirit, your voice, that I may know him that I may know him in his power to deliver, that I may know him in his power to make his presence known, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Happy Easter. (laughs) Happy Easter. Happy Easter. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I know that I am forgiven, that I know by the work of his spirit convincing me that I don't have to be living in guilt and in the accompanying shame. I can wheel on those things, face those things, and even face those people and not be shackled by the greater power of guilt and shame becoming that which shuts me down in what the Lord would want to use me to do and be as a blessing, as an encourager. And then in those lonely places, in those by ourselves time, for us to know we have the privilege. We have, Lord, will you make yourself known? I'm, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling by myself. I'm not sure what to do next. Lord, would you make your presence known to me? The power of his resurrection. Because he's alive, he can do that. If we were just, if we were just trying, to, trying to study a little baby in Mary's lap or we're still trying to study this Jesus hanging on the cross, he's not a baby and he's not dying on the cross. He's not a baby and he's not dying on the cross. He's off of the cross, out of the tomb, alive because Satan and sin couldn't keep him dead. And because he is alive, he is able to impart resurrection power, freeing us from guilt and shame, causing us to know his abiding presence every day and every night of our lives. Amen. Amen. Somebody said amen. I know you did. I know you did. Now let's end this this way. Let's end this this way. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? In order for Paul to know Jesus, Jesus had to make himself known to Paul or Saul. I feel like there may be some folks listening and this, I don't, that all sounds good, preacher. The bottom line is I'm not even really sure that there is a Jesus, that he's real, that he can help. Here's what I want to say to you. There are some things that you could bet on 
and you'd be a fool to bet on. But here's one thing I believe you could take to the bank. To turn that question, but that cry of your heart into a prayer. Jesus, I don't even know if you're real. I, I don't even, I don't know about being able to believe. I don't even know if you're real. But what I'm willing to ask you to do, if you're real, will you make your presence known to me? Will you let me know that you're real? I believe that worse than anything, the Lord has a hard time stomaching phoniness, plastic faith. But what draws us to his heart is an honest cry. I don't know if you're real, Jesus, but if you're real, if you are, I ask you to make yourself known to me. I, I believe he will do that. It may not be today. It may not be tonight. But if you make that a prayer of your heart, Lord, would you make yourself real to me? When it happens, and you'll know when it happens, there's just one response to make. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I receive that. It, it, it's a start. It, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a point of faith as small as a grain of a mustard seed. But he will honor that. Now, that's folks who are wondering if it's even possible to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to say this quickly to ones, those of you who, who do know him. And there's been a place where the relationship started, your, your Damascus Road spot. Would you turn your heart to him as well on this Easter Sunday? Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I ask you to cause me to know what it means to be thoroughly, thoroughly forgiven. The enemy knows how to come up behind us and just whisper things. It, 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 it's not the Lord talking. It's darkness talking. Well, you were this, and you did that, and you did that for that long, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. The enemy, the enemy. That's why the older we go, the longer we go with the Lord, it can be so vital for us to pray, Lord. By the power of your spirit, cause me to know the power of your resurrection in the place of forgiveness, that I am forgiven of guilt and shame. Now, somebody heard that and you just checked out right then because you've already categorized some things are so fixed, some things are so unchangeable that those relationships could never be mended. They won't ever be mended as long as your heart is hard at that place. But if you will, and I just, I just dare you to do it, where you know there are broken places and you won't step back into those places because you feel guilty and because you feel ashamed and because you think they wouldn't accept it, get your eyes and your ears off of them.
and put your eyes and your ears upon what Jesus has accomplished for you. If they slam the door in your face, at least you gave them a chance to slam the door in your face. If they never responded to an email, if they never responded to a text or a phone call, at least you gave them the chance to respond instead of letting guilt and shame shut the mercy of God down from flowing through your life. Let that in. Let that in. Please let that in. Lord, thank you for this Easter. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And may we more completely, more thoroughly as time goes on, may we understand what it is to know you, to know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your 